Welcome to Uppity Women. Today we are talking about the Storybook Project, which is a program where volunteers go into prisons and record inmates called readers, uh, record them reading books or part of books to kids, nieces, nephews, parents sometimes, um, siblings. And today you'll hear from the outreach coordinator, Denise Chai, and we will also hear from Jem Jones. And she was in prison and was a reader for the Storybook Project. She went into prison when her son was just a baby. So she read to him over the years and she's been released. So we got to visit for a while and I really enjoyed our conversation and I hope to meet Jem soon. And then uh, I also was able to volunteer twice for the Storybook Project after interviewing Denise. And this was in early February when we talked and right now it's late March. So we're in the middle of coronavirus lockdowns. Uh, Went to Wrightsville, both the men's and women's units. We went on separate days and got to help about 70 women read to various people. And then on the men's side, I think there were about 40 or 45 of them. And I cannot tell you what a rewarding experience that was. Everyone was so grateful and it was very meaningful to them. We had a guy sing to his son uh, before he read and they get to pass messages on to their loved ones and the caretakers uh, of their children. Uh, It was really, really rewarding and it is really, hmm, how do I say this? I I have a background in criminal defense, so I have always been able to see um, these people as people. I've always known that there's more to their story than what we're seeing in court or in the criminal justice system, but it was still nice to be able to go and see the soft side of these men and women who did bad things and are currently paying for it, Um, but that doesn't mean that their kids love them any less or that they don't miss their families. So it was really nice and I'm glad to be able to do it. And you'll hear Denise talk about different ways that you can get involved and it is really not difficult. There are lots of different things you can do. So um, just stay tuned till the the end uh, of my talk with Denise and you'll hear how you can uh, participate in the Storybook Project. And also I really, really enjoyed um, my conversation with Jem She's got a group on Facebook she's started that's called What About Us? And it is to kind of give a voice to women who are in prison and the challenges and problems that they have. Uh, I'd love to get in there with some microphones and and record. Maybe someday I can do that. But this is a really special episode uh, to me, really interesting. And I know that there are lots of other ways that we could get involved and try to help people who are in the system uh, but want to get out, want to do better want to be good, healthy members of society. And it's going to take all of us. It truly takes a village, not just for children, but for all of us. So I hope that in this time that we are quarantined in our houses, um, or at least locked down into our houses, that we will think about ways that we can come together as, um, as human beings and help each other and try to solve problems and move forward in a healthier and happier way. So anyway, enough about that. Uh, I could probably talk a whole episode just by myself on all of the things going through my head. So anyway, enjoy this episode. My name is Denise Chai, and I was born in New Jersey. 
Uh, my parents immigrated here from Canada. Uh, my dad was actually from South Korea, and he was a medical student during the Korean War, given the option of either fighting you know, for, for North Korea, or rather serving the North Korean army, um, or being shot, so he you know, chose the former. Um, after the war, he immigrated to Canada, and that's where my parents met. Um, they had a couple of kids in Canada and then moved to New Jersey. So, And you said you have two older siblings? Yes. So you moved to New Jersey, but you actually ended up graduating from Walla Walla High School in Washington, correct? Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. My dad was in the VA, so mm-hmm. we moved a lot. So I lived in New Jersey, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Washington State, and uh, then I graduated from UNC Chapel Hill. And what's your background educational background. Yeah, I double majored in anthropology and East Asian studies. Right. And then you went to, um, I wrote this down, the School of Oriental and African African Studies. Yeah, that's right. So I had done um, a junior year abroad in Manchester, England. So I had friends there and everything. And I graduated from college in 1991. So it was the bottom of the recession. Um, what's an anthro and East Asian studies major going to do? So um, I went back to grad school in London, to University of London School of uh, Oriental and African Studies. That sounds fascinating. It was great. Yeah. 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 Studied uh, area studies of the Far East. So that, that took me to my uh, next journey, which was Asia. So I spent um, about 18 years living in Asia. Because I had family living in Korea, I went there first. And also I'd just done a dissertation on you know, Chinese-Korean relations and that sort of thing. Um, and that's about the time, too, that they established diplomatic relations. So that's kind of how far this all goes back. Mm-hmm. But while I was in Korea, I had three concurrent part-time jobs as a um, a freelance journalist, um, an editor for the Korean Foreign Ministry, and also an editor for a foreign brokerage. So in all of that, although I went to Asia not even knowing what a stock was, um, you know, I got to know some financial analysts and thought it was a really glamorous uh, career. So I kind of made my way through that. So moved to Hong Kong, where um, there was a much bigger financial industry, and lived there for 13 years. Wow. Had two kids there, moved to Singapore, had one more kid. And are you married? Yes. Mm-hmm. Where is your husband from? He's from Washington State. So, so we knew each other in high school and then many years later reconnected. Oh my God, I have so many questions. <laughs> so you worked as a financial analyst? Yes, I was an investment analyst. Yeah, an equity okay. analyst. Okay. Analyzing and, stocks. And then what did you do from there? Uh, I did that. I was always specialized in, in um, Hong Kong, Chinese, or Korean stocks for the most part um, in the consumer sector. So I did that work in Hong Kong, Hong Kong is a very, very small place with very, very small apartments. And at one point I had, you know, two kids, four cats, and just, you know, we we couldn't even turn around in that apartment anymore. Um, So I moved to Singapore for, kind of made a quality of life move there. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, after four years in Singapore, my parents were getting older, my kids were, you know, were still young. And so we felt like it was the right time to move to the U.S. So that's when I moved to Little Rock in 2011. And is your, was your dad based here? How, how, why, why Arkansas? Yeah, why, why Arkansas? It's a great question. Um, so my sister had done her residency here, and she was settled here. So when my parents retired, they moved here, and then that's that's where we came to. So we're actually all neighbors, next-door neighbors oh. at the end of a cul-de-sac. And then you have an older brother or sister in uh, addition to this? Yeah, uh, older brother, older sister. And where's your brother? He's in Oklahoma City. And is that where you lived, in Oklahoma? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he oh. just stayed. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was born in Oklahoma City. I don't have a super strong connection to it anymore, yeah. but um, it's uh, it's it's come along a lot. It actually reminds me a little bit of Little Rock, doesn't it? Do you spend, ever spend time in Oklahoma City? Not too much. Okay. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it you know with Bricktown and yeah, sort of it's Bricktown's it's had its nice. development. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you work now? No, I retired at the end of 2011. Uh, sorry, 2017. What did you do for work when you came to Arkansas? I was still with Bank of America, so I was okay. doing a Wall Street job. 
from home in mm-hmm. Arkansas. Mm-hmm. So that alone is a little bit, um, a little bit challenging. I traveled a lot, like a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there aren't a whole lot of flights out of Little Rock. So it was, yeah, yeah it was exhausting. Yeah, I can <laughs> but imagine. But I was, I was so lucky to have that opportunity though, to not have to, you know, live in New York City. Right. And to be able to do this job. Yeah. I love New York. I moved there when I was 18, but I go back now. I'm 40, I'll be 49 this month. And I, it's just too much for me, right? So it was fantastic when I was younger, but I don't want to. I just want to visit now. I wouldn't want to live there again. It's hard to live there. Yeah, it's easy to live here. Yeah, not, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and finance jobs start so early in the morning. So you know, I'd have mm-hmm. colleagues in, living in Connecticut or New Jersey or something, and they're just getting up almost. <laughs> you know, just mm-hmm. like, Don hasn't even thought about cracking yet. Right, <laughs> they're already on the train. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's too much. Yeah. All right. So in your retirement years, mm-hmm. um, and we're going to get to the storybook project, tell me kind of what you've been doing to keep yourself busy. You've been working with different nonprofits or volunteering. Yeah. Um, busy has not been a problem. I've got yeah. <laughs> plenty of hobbies. Um, so I'm on the board of two nonprofits right now, that being Decarcerate and the storybook project. And then as mentioned, I've got three kids and we've got a farm and, you know, lots of animals and that sort of thing. So, and I also quilt. So, you know, in the Little Rock area, you have a farm? Yeah, in Roland. Roland. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, it's so beautiful out there. And are your kids still in school? Yes. All right. Yeah, they're just like 11, 14, and 16. So if you retired in 2011, mm-hmm. do they have memories of living overseas? The older ones do, but my son was two when we moved back here, so he doesn't remember anything, but, but my girls do. Okay, so they don't speak other languages from that from being in no, other countries? No, not, not anymore. I mean, they went to bilingual schools when they were there. Do you speak Korean? I speak a little bit of Korean badly and some Chinese badly. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. So, um, so decarcerate and the storybook project, how did you develop an interest in the, I guess the prison system or, or the criminal justice system? Yeah. So my career in finance had absolutely nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just as I was, you know, as I was kind of gearing up to retire, uh, my church was also starting some ministries related to women in incarceration. So this was an area that, that uh, fascinated me pretty quickly. Um, so one evening I was just reading up about, you know, women in incarceration, mass incarceration and this sort of thing. And I came across the website of the Women's Storybook Project of Texas. And I was, yeah, I was fascinated. Just, I was hooked. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the direction things have taken. What about decarcerate? Will you tell me about tell me about the organization and what you all do? Yeah. Um, so decarcerate is just as it sounds. You know, we're trying to end mass incarceration in Arkansas through education, advocacy, and legislation. And I'm actually co-chair of a campaign to curb criminal justice debt. So we're working on launching a court watch program and things like that. I think so many people don't realize. Well, there are a number of issues, um, but so many people when they get into the system, they can never afford to get out. And, you know, when you get out of prison, you might be have back child support and parole fees or restitution. I mean, just all of the things. And then we expect folks to get out of prison, go get jobs, be productive members of society. And we do nothing to help them do that. The costs, well, to us as a society are Another thing that we probably have no idea what it really costs to incarcerate people, but also the folks that we do incarcerate and what they have to, to deal with getting out. It's just, I mean, I don't even, I'm a lawyer and I don't know how my, I pay my bills every month, right? As long as I'm, while I'm trying to build businesses, right. yeah. I'm broke, you yeah. know? And so I can't imagine, but I can walk in, I'm white, I know a ton of people, I've 
worked for the Supreme Court, so I'm very well connected. So I can go get a job if I need to. Um, I'm just choosing not to, but I'm, I know I'm preaching in the choir right now. I worked for the public defender too. And it was the same people, same kind of people mm-hmm. from the same neighborhood, same backgrounds, same circumstances, same education. Uh, and it's just, there are ways that we can solve these problems without putting people in jail. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyway. And and just one one thing I would point out too about the difference between say decarcerate and storybook project is that decarcerate is on the outside shaking the bars. Right. Right. Um, Whereas with the storybook project, we're in the prison at the behest of the ADC. Yes. And so we absolutely play, you know, play by their rules. Right. Tell me about the storybook project. Yeah. So the mission of the storybook project is to keep families connected during incarceration through the joy of reading. So to do that, we bring crates and crates of children's books to prisons, and we record parents, grandparents, uncles, and aunts reading a book and giving a message to the children in their lives. And then we go away, we burn that to CD. They've also written a message in the book. Um, We put the CD in the book and mail it off to the families. And you said you first started, you read about the Storybook Project in Texas, Mm -hmm. and then did you start it here, or there was already an existing program? There was already an existing program. So once I came across the Women's Storybook Project of Texas, I was hooked. Um, You know, I looked to see if there was a program in Arkansas like that. There was, and I made a phone call the next day. And you only, at the moment, are operating in Newport, is that right? No, we've expanded. So... Um, the program's been going for over 20 years now. So for 20 years, we were only in Newport. Newport has a men's and a women's unit. Um, and then earlier last year, we started to go into the Wrightsville prison. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then and also Pulaski County Jail. Oh, that's right. I saw that on the website. Mm-hmm. And you go four times a year, twice in the fall and twice in the spring? Yeah, effectively, yes. So um, that's four times a year to every unit. Oh, so, right. Yeah, so it's like four times to the women in Newport, the men in Newport, to the women and the men in, in uh, Hawkins. And there's a new, uh, there's another unit um, called Wrightsville Men, which is also in Wrightsville. Um, and then you've got the jail. And very excitingly, uh, we've recently been approached by Arkansas Community Corrections, which has traditionally been probation and parole. Um, they're going to be getting together with the um, Department of Corrections, too. Those will be merging. Uh, but they do have lockup facilities across the state, and they're very interested in having the Storybook Project available. So we're still working that out because we're not resourced to <laughs> at right. the moment to be everywhere. Right, because you provide the recorders for the volunteers. And the books and the postage and the everything. The everything. Yeah, it costs us around $10 a book to, okay. to put it all together. So walk me through the logistics. So let's say I want to volunteer, and I do, mm-hmm. um, to go help do the recordings with the I hate calling people inmates. It, it dehumanizes yeah, them. What do you... We, we call them readers. <laughs> the readers. Thank yeah, you. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I want to volunteer to work with the readers. Mm-hmm. Tell me what happens. So first, um, if we're going to one of the, to the prisons as opposed to the jail, um, then we'll need to get your security clearance going. So just need a little bit of personal information from you, you know, driver's license, social, social security number, birth date, you know, that's um, full name, That that's about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... If possible, we do some training beforehand um, to, in terms of how to use the digital recorders, um, just you know the procedure within the prison, and then on the day when we meet in the prison, um, you know I will bring crates and crates of, of children's books, a wide variety of things, everything from you know touch and feel baby books to Mark Twain, you know, and so much in between. But I mean, the average age of the children receiving the books is six or seven. So that's kind of where we, we pitch things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, the choice of books is also influenced by um, 
you know, our readers' reading level, frankly, mm-hmm. too. So we, we do um, have quite a, a lot of more basic books. Um, anyway, on the day we, we gather at the prison, uh, you know, we go through security and that kind of thing. So they're, you know, we're abiding by the ADC's rules. Um, and then we set up in the visitation room. So we will have several tables where we just lay out all the books. Um, and then we bring our forms along because we need to, um, you know, we need to collect information about the reader, their name, their number, their relationship to the children, children's names and ages, um, gender, and also the caretaker's information, address, phone number, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, and we also ask for feedback from the readers. And um, I, I brought some of the reader feedback to share at some point. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Yeah. I really want to get into who's who's reading and the, the impact and uh, what it means to them and, mm-hmm. and, and really just um, how it helps big picture. Yeah. So, so let me um, just sticking with the logistics for just a minute. So, so we would go as a group to let's, let's just say Newport mm-hmm. and um, we go into a room and the, the readers select what they're going to read and they're pre-screened. Yes. The readers sign up with the chaplain. So they need to have disciplinary class two. Everybody enters the prison at disciplinary class two. You can go up, you can go down. Mm-hmm. If you go down, you're on the host squad. If you go up, um, you're earning like two days off your sentence for every day that you serve. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but, and there can also be no protective orders between themselves and who they're reading to. Right. So if they're estranged from their ex-wife or something like that, they're just not going to be able to reach the kids. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, or if they have certain, uh, convictions, I'm sure. Any, any, um, child abuse convictions or anything yeah. like that, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have people who can't read but want to participate? Uh, yeah. I mean, can't read is, is a little bit strong. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. normally they can they can read some, but we bring, like I said, such a variety of books. So some books are mostly pictures. And so it's just up to them to kind of tell the story that they want to tell to their family. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering about that. because yeah, we, we bring books in Spanish too. Oh, good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you, well, let's just jump into then the the feedback that you're getting from readers. And you also, are you able to get feedback from the families at home? Yeah, we don't have much contact with the families at home. Okay. It's, it's normally, um, I mean, sometimes they'll write to us, but it's normally when the book has gotten lost or, or something like that, that we have direct contact with them. Um, you know, I guess something I wanted to point out about the, the program is that if you look at all the volunteer programs that go into the prisons, um, and I applaud every single one of them. I mean, I think they're wonderful. I think that we need more people from the outside going in um, and, you know, seeing who's there, seeing that they're just not a whole lot different from the rest of us. Um, we are, I think, probably the only program that focuses not just, you know, solely on the inmate, but on the whole family. Mm-hmm. Um, because for the inmate, what we offer is an opportunity to be a parent, mm-hmm. right? They've They've made these mistakes. They've... Um, you know, I'm sure burned a lot of bridges and things. Um, they're they're paying their debt to, to society, but they have almost no opportunity to be a, a parent from prison. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of us would think that reading a book to your kids is, is a pretty normal parental activity, and it's just something that they never have the opportunity to do. And in fact, um, we meet a lot of readers, especially dads, I should say, uh, who who tell us they never read a book to their kids before we got there. Mm. So it's like, wow, if we hadn't shown up, <laughs> you know, so it's a way to start for the parent. It's a way to, to be a good role model and kind of start this new tradition within their family of, of reading with their kids, encouraging literacy and all of that. Um, and for the children, uh, you know, if you look at Arkansas, like big picture here, just kind of going back to, to why our program is needed. Um, Arkansas is one of the top five in the country for incarceration rates. Wow. And as a result of that, we actually have the highest percentage of children 
in the country who have a parent or guardian who is or was incarcerated. Mm. 16% of kids in Arkansas. That's incredible. It's incredible. It's it's devastating. I yeah. mean, and when you think about sources of adverse childhood experiences or ACEs mm-hmm. in parental incarceration, parental addiction, sexual you know sexual abuse and such. I mean, they're they're all way up there. But I mean, Arkansas is just off the charts. Um, it's it's terrible. So uh, so there's such a need. And sometimes, like when parents get divorced or something, children might blame themselves. They might do the same thing when, you know, dad's not home anymore because he's incarcerated. It's, it's just so hard to process that yeah. for a child. Um, and so hard for the, the person who's incarcerated to let, that, let their children know how much they love and care about them and miss them, like every day. Right. So we sent home just, you know, a little permanent piece of that, that person's best self, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was kind of randomly, I was going to do some volunteer training, and I was um, just pulling out a few recordings to listen to again. Uh, to play for them so they could see what the finished product was going to be like. And I, I listened to one where at the end of the, the recording, you know, she, she talks to her son Noah and tells him how much she loves and misses him. She reads from the book, gives him, you know, another message like that. And then she says, thanks, Pam. And I thought she was talking to our volunteer because we have a volunteer named Pam. And then she goes on to tell Pam how much she loves and appreciates Pam. Pam is the caretaker of her son. Mm. And we have no idea what her relationship with Pam is. Right. Right. Does Pam even talk to her? We, we don't know, right. but, um, you know, especially for women when they're incarcerated because they were almost always the primary caregiver yeah. of the children before they were incarcerated, um, they just leave such a mess <laughs> yeah. for the families and for the caretakers. Yeah. So just, you know, any way that, that those edges can be smoothed, I think is, is just so important. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've had people in my family who have gone to prison and it's just, just there's everything into turmoil. You know, and mm-hmm. it leaves everyone else to pick up the pieces and figure out how to move forward with, you know, one less person or one less income or, you know, whatever it is. And and we're all relatively privileged, you know, and have resources. So it's worked out fine, you know, for everyone involved, but um, fine, yeah. you know, it, 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 in the best sense that I can say that. But do you know why Arkansas has such a high rate of incarceration? I mean, do we know, I guess it's just all the, just lack of resources and opportunities, I guess. I have not compared Arkansas to other states, so uh, so I'm not an expert on that. Mm-hmm. But I can say that, I think it was 2014, there was a big increase in the number of people incarcerated. There was a change in the law that year, for example, that made uh, that made burglary a violent offense. Yes. And so, you know, some of the sentences went up, but I'm not the expert on that. Right. Mm. Even though burglary um, is not the same as robbery. So there's no person involved in a burglary. Right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's, it's violence yeah. at what upon the, uh, upon the property, apparently. Right. Uh, I mean, you can feel violated if somebody, you know, broke into your house. I'd feel violated if that were the case, oh, that, but <laughs> absolutely. That's yeah. yes, that is. And that's, it's definitely a, a violence upon your sense of safety mm-hmm. and security, but it's not anyway, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking from a defense lawyer's brain right now. And mm-hmm. it's just, Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna not get off onto all of my tangents about the, the system. Uh, I will say briefly when I worked for the Supreme Court, there was a oh there was a, a budget issue basically, and um, there's a fund that pays for the state's trial court assistance, along with with other 
things, I think even like state police retirement. And it's funded by people in the district courts, mostly who are paying court fees Mm -hmm. and fines. Mm -hmm. And what was happening was the economy was bad. People weren't working. They couldn't pay their fees. So judges were letting them work it off or do community service, you know, whatever. And uh, instead of finding other resources, and also I will add that the legislature had used that fund as its little piggy bank. So it had used money from that fund to pay for other things that weren't related to what it was supposed to be paying for. So instead of trying to fix that problem or find money from somewhere else, they just jacked up fees on court costs, Mm -hmm. you know, and they made it. um, Who's going to object? Of course. You know, and it used to be that you could file a petition to have your criminal record sealed in appropriate cases for free. Well, then they tacked on a $50 charge. And it's like, well, these people can't get jobs to pay for it. And they can't get jobs because they have this criminal history that they need to have sealed. And so it's just this, it's just the circular, you know, problem. So yeah, I've got big complaints about all that. Right, right. And, you know, from the Storybook Project standpoint, um, you know, we're trying to to foster positive family relationships. Mm -hmm. So I would guess that about 75% of our readers are parents reading to their kids. Mm -hmm. Another 20% would be um, grandparents reading to grandkids. Mm -hmm. And then 5% maybe uncles and aunts. Yeah. Um, But in any case, I'm pretty sure that the whole household is going to be listening to that that CD just to hear their voice again. Right, right. All right, quick little break while we hear from our sponsor. We'll be right back. I started Women Lead Arkansas in 2013 as an effort to train women to run for office. I made it nonpartisan because I want all women to have access to resources so they can become engaged in politics, policy, and leadership, regardless of their beliefs and backgrounds. Show your support by going to womenleadarkansas.org and get 15% off hoodies, t-shirts, and mugs by using discount code UPPITY, U-P-P-I-T-Y. The times we're living in cause me great anxiety, which I discuss in many of the episodes, but I know we can do better. Help Women Lead bring more people and resources together to make Arkansas the best it can be for everyone. Go to womenleadarkansas.org and use the discount code UPPITY for 15% off our merchandise. We are all in this together. Um, so so tell me what kind of feedback you're getting from the readers. Oh, sorry if I get a little bit choked up. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll cry too. <laughs> okay. I enjoyed Storybook Project. I cried through it, but I got through it. It makes me feel good knowing that my children get to hear my voice and knowing I read a book to them once in their lives. Mm-hmm. I've been reading in the Storybook Project for the last 18 years. It really keeps us connected with our children and grandchildren. It opens the doors for us to be a part of their personal growth, both educationally and spiritually. For some, this is their only way. I've been incarcerated a little over a year, and the roughest part of it is missing out on children's birthdays and holidays. It goes on and on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you said that you were speaking at an event, and a woman approached you and said that she had been a reader? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's right. Um, I mean, again, we incarcerate so many people. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, now that we're operating, now that the Storybook Project is in both the Newport and the the Wrightsville prisons, which is where the main women's units are, I mean, chances are they've been offered an opportunity to, you know, to read with the Storybook Project. So yeah, she was just a, a waitress at, <laughs> <laughs> and I was there talking to the Civitans about it and about the program, and someone had just asked the question, um, "How do you know the impact of your program?" Yeah. And then she tapped me on the on the shoulder and said, "Can I take this?" <laughs> really? It was amazing. Yeah. Wow. Do you remember anything that she said about the impact on her life? Uh, she talked about how she read to her children and, and just how it let her 
be at home, you know, a form of her be at home with them. Right. Yeah. I, um, you know, even at 49, <laughs> I remember negative experiences from childhood and I did not have the kind of trauma. Anyway, my therapist would say it's not a competition, but life wasn't always easy. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, but I didn't have a parent in prison or, you know, I wasn't sexually abused, you know, none of those things that we typically think about with the childhood trauma. But even now I still struggle with relationships from, from way back then. So I can't imagine what it must be like for a child who has a parent in prison who doesn't understand it and who either thinks it's their fault or that the parent is punishing them somehow, or they must not love me because if they love me, they wouldn't have committed this crime and left me, you know? And I just, there's just, it's devastating. It is devastating. Yeah. 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 So some, you know, we, our program is very simple. I mean, we bring the books, we record, we burn it CD, we mail the books and the CD off, but it's also a lot of work. And so we're always trying to make a little bit more out, out of that experience. Um, so we recently started to partner with Sesame Street communities because Sesame Street has, you know, has all kinds of new characters that mm-hmm. help to speak to, you know, the various experiences that children have. Um, so they've got a a packet called Little Children, Big Challenges, Incarceration, and it comes with um, a, a booklet for caretakers to kind of understand what children might be going through to prepare them for the video call or, or something like this, um, to read their emotions. Um, and there's also a little storybook for children to read in there, too. You mm. know, so, there's, so it's about a little girl who goes to family night at, at school with her uncle. Everybody mm-hmm. thinks the uncle's her dad. She breaks down crying, you know, eventually makes a picture that she can send to her dad. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's really hard. So we've also um, got some booklets from Sesame Street, too, about parental incarceration, sorry, parental addiction. Mm-hmm. Mm. So these are, yeah, they, these are all really tough for kids. Yeah. And once, in fact, um, I had a reader who, very unusually, it was a guy, and he, he sang nursery rhymes to his son. And one of the nursery rhymes, nursery rhymes was London Bridge is Falling Down, mm-hmm. which after about seven verses, you get to the part where the, it's about a prisoner, oh. you know, catching the prisoner and locking them up. And we get there, we're looking at the words like, oh, what is this? <laughs> right. But he kind of, he put his head down and he pushed through. And after we were done recording, he told me that his son thinks that he's at work. Oh. So anyhow, there are very, you know, I really encourage you to volunteer because there are so many human moments and yeah. in fact um one of the big one of the big things i try to do with the program is to bring in as many volunteers as, as we can practically get away with you mm-hmm. know so try to go in there with like 15 people or so every time mm-hmm. um and people from just all walks of life in fact among our current volunteers we have uh the, like a former sentencing direct you know the director of the sentencing commission mm-hmm. um we have someone who's currently a prosecutor running for judge. Um, and there's a, a local attorney who's, um, who's competing for a service award. And so he's got like 10 attorneys and, and judges lined up for us to, to go in and volunteer in the next couple of months. Is wow. It, I me, wish all judges and prosecutors would do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I just want people to see the folks in there as, as just people, you know, identify with yeah. them and, and um, connect with them as parents, you know, who, might have so many of the same experiences that we do. Yeah. I was just listening to a podcast episode about addiction and that um, we assume that we're just hardwired to be have addictive tendencies or not. And I think there probably is some of that um, for some people, but that what they're actually seeing is 
it's often just lack of connection. Um, it's lack of good relationships. It's lack of, um, I'm going to just say happiness. Mm -hmm. And so I would imagine that most people who go to jail already feel badly about themselves. And when we don't treat them like human beings, that just adds to that. And I would imagine, I don't know, but that it just increases their anger at the world, at themselves, at whatever. And that just is not, I, I would just love to see, um, Anyway, yeah. I'm responding to what you said. Mm -hmm. They're human beings. Mm -hmm. And yes, they may have done bad things, but we're not doing anything to be the people they really probably want to be. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I didn't bring this, this quote exactly with me, but uh, recently there was a man who wrote, I felt like a good daddy again. <gasps> so, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of opportunity that this very simple program offers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, when we talk to the chaplains, the chaplains are very supportive of our, of our program too. Um, you know, partly because prison is such a grind. You know, you have to figure out a whole new way to survive and who you can trust, not trust. I mean, just the, the love-hate relationships in there mm -hmm. um, get to be very intense. And it's easy to lose yourself in that that 24-7 prison grind. Yeah. But when we, you know, when we come, um, they they leave that behind for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so healthy. Um, you know, especially with the women, I, I find that they're emotionally kind of shut. I mean, they keep themselves pretty buttoned down mm -hmm. because as much as it's traumatic for a child to have a parent incarcerated, it's traumatic for a parent to be, you know, separated from their children. Mm -hmm. So, you know, no less, I think. It, it's a chance for them to kind of reconnect with those feelings. You mentioned someone who'd said it was the first time that they'd read to their child. Mm -hmm. Do you hear many people say that no one ever read to them as children? No, they don't say that, but I can imagine that's right, right. <laughs> probably the case, yeah. And, and how long have you been involved with this? Uh, I guess going on two and a half years. Two and a half years. Yeah, who started it in Arkansas? Yeah, there was a woman named Pat Opplinger mm -hmm. who was uh, retired and living in Cherokee Village. Mm -hmm. um, and so Pat had spent 39 years in education. And her life philosophy was um, that by the time you retire, you've accumulated so many skills and experiences and it would be a darn shame not to use them for good. Mm -hmm. And so um, she came across a program, a similar program in Illinois called Companions. And I think she was, you know, she was thinking about this and how, you know, how could we do something like this? So she raised it at her church one day and a man named Don Hearn stepped forward and said, you know, this is wonderful. I want to do this with you. So the two of them uh, led the program for some years. Don has passed away now, but, um, you know, and Pat is, is still a tremendous resource for us. Mm -hmm. Is it a ministry? I mean, it's, is it... I'm not religious. I don't go to church, but I know that's that's not a requirement to volunteer. But is there a religious component? No, not overtly. I mean, we're we're not a religious organization right. at all. Uh, many of our volunteers would find, you know, what we do to be a, like a calling for them. But, and we're also uh, well supported by churches. Right. But, okay. Yeah, we're not religious. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just I don't know why it made me something made me think of it. So we're coming up on spring. Um, it's early February right now. How far in advance do we need to get kind of signed up to volunteer? Oh, um, do you have the spring? Um, yeah, I just like I literally yesterday just got the schedule. So um, we'll be going into the Pulaski County Jail on February 20th and 21st and the um, Wrightsville Prison, the Hawkins unit on March 3rd and March 6th. So yet to be scheduled is the Wrightsville men's unit and the, the visits to the Newport prison as well. Okay. Do you already have your volunteers lined up? Uh, they are assembling themselves. I okay. <laughs> I sent okay. out the, the email last night. 
Um, but it usually, I mean, I I would give it about a couple weeks to get clearance done with the ADC. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add about the program or, or anything else? Things that we can do, ways we can get involved? And, and are there ways oh, to get yeah. involved that don't involve going to the jails? Yes, there are absolutely ways to get involved that don't that don't include going to the jails. Um, so the stuff that is outside the home is um, going to record readers, um, packing books and CDs for mailing, mailing packages to the post office, uh, hosting book drives for new and giftable books. Um, for example, there's an indie bookstore in Fort Smith called Bookish, which just hosted a book drive for us. That was fantastic. Um, but you could do that at, at your church, your office, school, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could also invite us to speak to your, you know, to your church, civic group, um, you know, work, whatever. Mm-hmm. We would just love to spread the word. Okay. Um, and then, in ter- you know, if you feel more comfortable working at home, uh, then we need a lot of help to process and burn CDs. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a tedious process. Yeah. It's it's many hours of work every time. Um, currently, my husband's doing it, uh, for, <laughs> at least yeah. for the, the Wrightsville operation. Um, we need help writing grants. Mm-hmm. Um, you could host a house party, kind of friend slash fundraiser for us. That would be great. We'd come and speak at that, too. Um, you could help us track data from our prison visits. Um, also, type up reader feedback. That That would be great need help with the website and with communications with uh, volunteers and supporters through things like social media. Okay. All right. And so, and people can just sign up through the website? Yes. There's or, a, there's a volunteer section on the website. Okay. Yep. Okay. Well, unless there's anything else you want to talk about, we can wrap it up. I think that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I really appreciate the work you're doing. It's so important. And again, I, I mean, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to treat people like human beings and to just make these connections, make the world a better place. Right. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And I do a lot of different kinds of volunteer work, but to me, this is by far the most rewarding because when we go into the prison to record, they're so grateful we've come. Yeah. You know, so grateful. Yeah. And it's, you know, like I said, it's, it's a, it's just a wonderful human experience. If you will, we keep tissue packets in the, in the um, you know, packets for volunteers. Sometimes the volunteer needs it. Sometimes the reader needs it. But, yeah. you know, it's just a great chance to connect with people. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you do this. And thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. My name is Andrea Jones. I am originally from Memphis, Tennessee. But I live in Arkansas right now in Ash Flat where I uh, transitioned after my incarceration. Were you in the federal system? No, ma'am. I was in uh, the state of okay. McPherson Correctional, a women's uh, correctional facility. Okay. And what were you incarcerated for? At 16 years old, I was convicted of a first-degree murder for causing, uh, being part of causing the death of someone. How old are you now? 38. I um was sentenced to 30 years, and I was released last February after serving 21 years. Congratulations. Thank you. Did you have a child or children before you were incarcerated? I have one, a male child. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And so when did you first hear about or get involved with the Storybook Project? Well, I really don't remember the exact year, but it wasn't too long after I had gotten to McPherson so it, it's been about 20 years ago. Wow. So I have real problems with the way um, 
we treat people in prison. And I know that, that we don't, and I'm going to say we, I am not making the rules, but I'm part of the society that, uh, I guess, doesn't complain about it enough. I don't know. So we really tend to isolate people from their families um, and their only support systems. What is that like to be incarcerated and not have the ability, I guess, to, well, why don't, why don't you tell me what the challenges were for you being isolated from people you knew? Um, it was very hard, and it is a, a major obstacle that you have to grow accustomed to. Uh, like I said, I did 21 calendar years uh, going into the system as a teenager, so all of my adult years were spent incarcerated. And that... <laughs> And putting into words the actual scope of that is not an easy task. And even the us who had family support throughout the years, it was like a cycle. It waxed and waned, or shall I say, like a current. And the Department of Corrections doesn't make it any easier. My family being from out of state, it, the, the travel and my uh, mom was a single parent herself. And so now her task with taking care of my son, who was an infant at the time, um, that was a, that was tra- challenging to her as well. And so hadn't, having me as an extra burden didn't make things easier. Mm. The phone system at that time, the prices was horrendous. The time that I'm referring to, one 15-minute phone call will cost you $20 or more. Even back then? Even back then. Wow. So a person incarcerated such as myself who already feels like an albatross to my family, you didn't make many phone calls. Mm -hmm. So you already didn't get many visits on holidays. Yes, maybe, depending on the financial situation of your family at that time. Phone calls, not so much. You just couldn't afford it. So for storybook project to come through, I tell everybody that I've met since I've been home, which is amazing. It seems like everywhere I go, I meet somebody who volunteers or volunteered in the storybook project. And I have no problem telling them thank you, uh, trying to communicate the gratitude that we have for these people, these beautiful people who take not just their time, but their resources to do this thing that they don't know the scope and the magnitude of what they're doing, connecting a mom like myself who had to be away from their child to that child sending me home whether back then it was cassette tapes Mm -hmm. sending me home I get to read this story to my baby myself he gets to hear me Mm. himself as much as he wants to over and over and over again and I could never that's why I have no issue speaking with you Stephanie or whomever I come in contact with involved in this ministry it's more than a volunteer program it's a ministry because they're ministering to these wounded society forgotten society members Mm -hmm. which was us and these children who 
did nothing wrong, mm. who's bound just as well as we are, and the caregivers as well. So the caregivers of these children also are our family members or people who know and love us, and they get to hear us. You know, I, yeah. I know we kind of went on, but that's just where my heart is. This is, I mean, one of my first meetings um, when I got to Ash Flat here, I was um, in my foster father's Bible class and sat down. The first person I met was a man named Mr. Tracy. I'm, I don't know his last name. I've forgotten it. And he has been volunteering for over 20 years for storybook. And he was the first person that I met when I came home. Wow. Can you tell me how amazing that is? And like I said, every place thus far that I've went to, I've met somebody else also involved in storybook. And as soon as they tell me their storybook, I just gush. I just take it away. They're like, oh, and you know, because they don't know, they don't realize. I'm sure, you know, they understand a little, but the total depth of what they're involved in, mm -hmm. they could not really understand it. That's why I am so grateful for that you're doing this piece on them and that I, we're able to connect so they can hear me. They can get the unvarnished, amazing testimony from the person who they went in to minister to. Mm. Well, I had never heard of it until my friend suggested I talk to Denise, and I am, I'll be doing my first volunteer recording session this month, So, and I'm so excited. So uh, you get to go? Yes. Oh, you're going to love yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I'm a lawyer, and I, I had worked for the public defender in Little Rock, and it really opened my eyes to what the system is really like and how hard we make it for, for people who do end up incarcerated and their families. Um, it impacts everyone, including the community. So I, I don't think we're doing it right. Um, were you tried as an adult? Yes, I was. Okay. So, God, you were just a kid. Do you want to talk at all about the circumstances that got you into trouble? Well... My own wrong choices and me um, wanting to be, like I said, I came from a single parent home. My mom and my dad separated um, and I came from a single parent home. And so after I had my son, I didn't want to be an even more burden to my mom who was already struggling to take care of myself my brother, my sister was grown and uh, had moved out by then. And so I began to make wrong choices mm -hmm. um, as far as saying, trying to make money to take care of my child. And I end up in the being sex trafficked by then. And in the accordance and out and about, and that's pretty much the basics. Yeah. Put yourself in those situations and something bad is bound to happen. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. I take full responsibility for my actions and I utilize my time incarcerated, not just for myself, but for the life that was lost. Mm -hmm. I can never atone for that, but I can make my life mean something in the meantime. Uh, was he a John? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Yeah. I, well, 
that's the subject of a whole other uh, conversation. I hope you and I get to meet in person someday. So looking back now as an adult, I mean, we were all dumb kids at some point and Mm -hmm. some of us got caught. Some of us didn't looking back. Can you think of ways? I'm not sure exactly what my question is, but um, it sounds like you used your time well, but Mm -hmm. are there ways that maybe could have benefited you better than just being thrown in prison for 21 or 30 years? Absolutely. Give me, Um, give me some ideas. Trauma informed counseling. Mm. To this day, no one has offered me any type of counseling. Really? Absolutely. I was a child thrown into, (sighs) excuse me. (sighs) Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. I I can't believe you didn't get any kind of counseling. Not one, not even a mental evaluation, which was against the law. No one has ever, not even at the beginning. No, ma'am. I don't even know what to do with that. Are you getting any sort of, um, when you, and when you exit out of prison and then go into a halfway house, so they're trying to basically reintegrate you into society and right, get you a job. How does that work? What does that look like? I've never had to do any of that. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought Ash flat was, I thought you were released to a a program. No, ma'am. Okay. Okay. No, Mm ma'am. Well, that's good. Um, so are you off paper completely? No, ma'am. Okay. I report every month. I go to my PO uh, every month. I'm in the process um, at the suggestion from my PO of putting in paperwork to get the rest of my parole nullified, completed, or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. And are you having but to pay fees? Every month. How much is that? $35 a month. And if you had court calls, fines, which everybody does, mm-hmm. you you have to pay that off as well just for going to court. Well, you know that. You're yeah. a lawyer. Yeah. So yeah. you get out. I got out of prison in debt. And are you working? Do people... Yes, ma'am. Okay. So you have someone have who's a... willing to hire you. Yes, ma'am. I am very fortunate and that's a whole nother story. Yeah. Maybe I'll get to tell it to you one day. I, I would love that. Um, I've actually wanted for a long time to get into, to meet people like you and people not like you just get into the prison system and kind of talk to women and, you know, where did you come from? How did you end up here? Because Stephanie mm -hmm. is people inside and outside waiting to talk to you. Okay. Well, we're going to keep in touch after we finish this conversation and get together. So how are you able to develop a relationship with your son or were you this whole time? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. It's his beautiful sweetheart. I and my resilience, just because I went to prison, did not nullify my right to be his mom. And I kept my right. And your mom, I'm assuming, helped you do that? Yes, ma'am. By helping him, yeah. So back when you did the Storybook Project, did you hear from him about what uh-huh. it was like for him to get that from you? Yes, ma'am. And what did he say about it? That he uh, got a piece of his mommy. Yeah. Do you ever get to see him now? Yes, ma'am. Is he still in the Memphis area? Yes, ma'am. He and- graduated college in <gasps> May with his BS. And right, he's uh, his May, he 
was majoring in human health administration. And right now he's uh, waiting on a career in his field. In the meantime, he works at FedEx and he helps his grandmother. You must be so proud of him. I am. And I got to go to his graduation. That's the only thing I ever wanted in my whole life. That's amazing. Oh, I got to see my baby walk across that stage. And I promise you, it was amazing. Oh. I could not be contained. I'm so happy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so there are <laughs> there are good things in the world. There are. I wonder sometimes. He has never been involved in the criminal justice system. Well, not not even a ticket. Before we stop here, just what can people? Well, two things. I'm going to start by, and I'm going to have to go back and find this. But I was listening to a program once, and there was a woman. I can't remember if it was a poem or what it was. The only thing I remember is her saying, and she had spent time in prison. She said, I did what you said I did, but I'm not who you say I am. Oh, that's beautiful. And I I think that is just the most beautiful thing because that could apply to every single person in the world. And we're remembered for our worst things, right? So, right. So the second question, I guess, is for people like me who are concerned about women and men in prison and how we're not really helping them, what can we do for you, send books, do the storybook project, what would be helpful? What I know that will be helpful right now is exactly what you're doing, listening. And when you listen and you hear and you go fact find what you heard, you will know your next step. Hmm. You are That's so simple. Smart. Now, this is what I also want for you to do in the meantime. I have a page that I've started for those same people you want to talk to, those same people you want to hear from. It's on Facebook. It's called What About Us? It's okay. for them. All of the, I get all their stuff. I post it. I make posts. You'll see everything when you go on. Okay. I am the sole administrator of it, moderator on all of that, okay. of it. And you'll see for yourself. You'll have what you need in the meantime. Well, I'll connect with you on Facebook and then we'll stay in touch and we'll get together as soon as we can. Absolutely. Uh, Cause I w- really would love to meet you and maybe you can start your own podcast and do this. Hmm. Oh yeah. And can you send me a link to your podcast? Oh, I will. I will. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm very excited. Thank you so much for talking to me and I am really grateful and I'm really happy for you. Thank you. Yeah. And my anniversary of being out one year is on the 26th. Oh, of this month. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Well, I hope you're going to sell. What are you going to do? Do you know? Uh, well, I'll be seeing your girls, other storybook ladies. Oh, okay. And I would rather spend it no other way. I'll Aww. be at work. We're going to have a little conference. I hope, I, yeah, I get to see both uh, Miss Debbie and then I'll get to meet Miss Denise. Okay, good, good. Well, okay. th- I appreciate you so much. And um, I mean it. Let's let's meet as soon as we can, okay? Yes, ma'am. All have right. a great weekend. Thanks, Jen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and I'm going to get in trouble if I do not ask you to subscribe to the podcast, share it with friends, rate us, and review us. It is not hard to do. Uh, Of course, we prefer five stars, but do whatever you feel is right, and the more support you provide, the more we can keep on going. Thank you.